0: Welcome to another episode of Dice Talk. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Jurundu. And today we have another awesome episode planned for you. Today we will be interviewing Michael Sands, the creator of Monster of the Week, the uh, RPG tabletop system by Evil Hat Productions. So Michael, can you just introduce yourself to the listeners and tell them a little bit about who you are and what you do?
1: Okay. As you said, probably my single claim to fame in the world is writing Monster of the Week. More generally, I've been... Playing role playing games since I was a kid, which is quite a long time ago now. And recently um, it's become my career as well. So I'm doing uh, working as a game designer the whole time now, which is a, a nice place to be at. Uh, I guess I live in New Zealand, where it is currently summer, unlike uh, those of you in the Northern Hemisphere, sadly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm extremely jealous as I look outside my window at minus two <laughs> <laughs> temperatures. <laughs>
0: You say that you do tabletop and write games full-time. Is that just adding to Monster of the Week, or what mm. other types of projects have you been involved on?
1: No, no, I've, I've got some other projects on the go. I've got a few smaller games available. A couple of them I'm calling early access. They're not quite finished yet, but mostly there, and there's more on the way.
0: Awesome, and for all our listeners, you can um, go on Twitter and follow would Monster, the Monster of the Week handle be the best way to kind of keep an eye out on the stuff you're working on.
1: Uh, I've actually got a, a second account that's called Generic Games NZ, which is where I kind of emphasize the non Monster of the Week stuff. Awesome. Well,
0: for our listeners that don't know, Monster of the Week is a tabletop system. It has a lot of the same, you know, feeling of of maybe if you're used to playing like I don't know Dungeons and Dragons or Call of Cthulhu or something. It has that same feeling of sitting around table with your friends, role playing and having a fun time, you know, creative, whatever you want to do. Um, But Monster of the Week has a lot of things that make it really stand out to me, personally. There's a lot of differences that make Mm. it very, very different from um, things like Dungeons & Dragons. Jerundu, I know Monster of the Week is one of your favorite, if not your absolute favorite system. It is my absolute favorite, What do you love about it so much?
2: The main thing I love about it so much is the emphasis on building interrelated characters in the character development at the the very beginning. So um, right from the start, you're already sort of working on developing your, your own backstories and how you weave together, and it sort of helps to really create you, sort of cement you in into this position as, you know, the one of the investigators, whether that's, you know, a member of the X-Files or whatever influence your keeper is using to on the game. Um, it really does sell that and then also set up interpersonal conflicts and all kinds of juicy stuff to happen around the table. So, yeah, I absolutely adore it.
1: Yeah, that was one of the things I was very proud of the way it worked out because um, like over the years I played so many games where everyone kind of sits down and makes up their own character on their own and then you kind of get together and everyone's like, yeah, now what do I do? So I I, I liked being able to kind of shortcut that and kind of preload the relationships so that, you know, they're already a team who are used to working together, you know
2: yeah absolutely and they're not just superficial relationships either they're really um I've, for example the relationship between my character in Rolf Weird and uh adam's character philbert um Silas is deeply in love with philbert and Philbert has no idea um and silas <laughs> yeah. Silas is a a hundred and forty some year old vampire um <laughs> in trapped in the body of an 88 year old man forevermore so uh that relationship is spectacularly awkward and i adore it (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) Yeah, no i spent a lot of time figuring out what would be really kind of fun ways for the group to interact both from the kind of straightforward to the as you say super awkward and weird (laughs) i mean
2: you could play out completely benignly and tenderly, but for us, it always sort of boils down to uh, <laughs> awkward innuendo sitcom. <laughs> 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 but, but I'm perfectly happy with that. It's uh, as a yep, counterpoint no. to the sometimes harrowing things that are going on that we're investigating. It's that it's lovely to have that kind of um, sweet and sour combination yeah. uh, in in the game. I'm, yeah, a big fan.
0: For our listeners that don't know, in Monster of the Week, the game master is called the Keeper. And uh, what we were just talking about is when you very, the very first time you start uh, like a campaign or, or maybe it's a hunt or however you want to do it, you ask each other these questions and there's these pre generated questions. And uh, I really, really enjoyed that. In fact, the one time we played a Monster of the Week game with like a, a different author that had r- written their own campaign, I was kind of disappointed that they wanted to not do the questions because I was like, oh man, that's so fun. <laughs> Um, It was like a little one-shot adventure, but I think my favorite thing about it is uh, all the different hunters. Mm. So for our listeners, instead of like a traditional class, your hunters are going to be playing from different playbooks, and I really like how you have options, and they're kind of intricate, and it's not like, oh, I'm a wizard. It's like you're an investigator who might have some magical powers amongst other things. I also liked how you can mix and match uh, some of the abilities from playbooks, depending on how you decide to upgrade your character.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that that's quite important because all the playbooks are quite focused, you know, uh, I mean, you were talking about kind of the wizardy ones, but if you look at in particular ones, like the chosen, who's the Buffy style chosen one, or the professional, who's your, you know, molder style and, you know, government investigator of of monsters. Yeah. Those could be very, very narrow if you didn't have the option to kind of pull in some other bits from other parts of the game. So I I think that's quite a a crucial piece (laughs) of how it works.
0: Yeah, I like how it's built for like a somewhat modern setting, or or at least a, a you know decently modern setting. And like you said, you're not just walking around being like a wizard; you're like a person in the real world that has these attributes that are one way or another. And the character I play, Shadow, uh, he is the initiate, and he's like part of some secret organization going back like thousands of years that are hunting these monsters. And I just love how that's so different from The Chosen or The Mundane, which is a hilarious and awesome option, just the fact that that exists.
1: It's a pretty key character archetype in in the the shows that I'm drawing off. Mm. (laughs) I mean, I guess
2: Xander from Buffy would be a a good example.
1: Yeah, definitely.
2: You could play it, obviously, as in any other role-playing game, you could play it any way you wanted to, but you do get that kind of lovable doofus vibe (laughs) from the sort of like, whoops! So I've got sort of accidentally saving the day from the playbooks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you do get a very distinct feel from from the way the the playbooks are written.
1: Yeah, I guess that's the other the, the other the thing about them is because each playbooks kind of so focused on mm-hmm. its own style and what it's trying to do. Like the the combination you have does a lot of the work of giving your game its own yes. style.
2: Yes, definitely.
0: Well, talking about the different playbooks, which, once again, might be most closely associated with classes in other role-playing games. They are classes. <laughs> we have uh, The Chosen, The Expert, The Flake, The Initiate, The Monstrous, which Hello. Uh, Silas has played that in an interesting way, The Mundane, The Professional, The Spooky, and The Wronged. Out of all of those, Michael, uh, what do you think your favorite is? Or or what's some that we,
1: could, we should talk about so that the listeners definitely want to go check those out? Um, Of the ones in the main book, I think my favourite is The Crooked. And that is partly because it's the newest one I wrote uh, for the Evil Hat edition. And so it kind of has a lot of the lessons I learned from some years of play built into it. Mm. That the, uh, the original set of playbooks that I started with, in some ways, are a little rougher around the edges. So yeah, I think The Crooked's kind of the one that stands out there for me as feeling a bit more like where my sensibilities have evolved to over the years. Um, in particular, it's the way... Because The Crooked's like your person with a shady criminal past, mm. and one of the things you do when you play one is you pick what your shady criminal past was, and that flavours the character a little bit, as well as the more regular moves you'd get for doing your monster hunting stuff. And so I think it's like that aspect of it, where like your character's personal history sets them along a certain path is quite a nice little piece of it
2: with the being such recognizable uh, cultural archetypes it does sort of make inspiration for characters so much easier in a lot of respects and if people get hung up i think too much on complete originality when you you know we all recognize these archetypes you know what your role functionally within the party is going to be the ability is there when you level up, for instance, to take uh, plays from other playbooks to to diversify how to play a more fleshed out character, if that's you know what you want to do as the game evolves. So it's quite a flexible system, but based on very easily recognizable archetypes, which has made it a very good game for me to introduce complete newbies also for the fact the mechanical nature of just the 2d6 as well yeah again makes it a really user-friendly game to pick up
1: yeah that was that was kind of intentional i I definitely was trying to Mm. make it that way i mean that's why it's set in the modern world um and it's why i tried to get the playbooks to all be um like recognizable archetypes rather than like referencing single characters yeah um you know, I want them to be a bit more universal,
2: yeah absolutely and it, it does make it so much more um accessible as well, as I say, with considering the uh, the mechanical aspects of just using two d six because I think some people are intimidated by yeah. all the uh polyhedrons that they are confronted with with some of the systems
1: yeah it's it's not just that too, it's like um I mean because like that monster hunting genre is quite a mm. general one, I thought you know this may appeal to people who are new to role-playing. Yeah. And if they pick up a book and then it says, oh, you've got to have all these weird dice, yeah, (laughs) that's just like an extra little barrier to entry. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: (laughs) Um, And it's sad in some ways, because I do like having lots of weird dice, but, I mean, it's also the usability is is important.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's key. I mean, I think I have sort of done this. I've set up a game... As an alternative to just playing a board game on a on a certain night with people who've never played before, and it was easy enough to set up to do that, so we could just play a complete game one off with complete newbies in two or three hours, and that's you know absolutely fine. If they want to come back, it's episodic, so you know it's that's great. We could do another one any time.
1: Yep, yep. I think a lot of these things are like the the reasons that the game's been so successful. I think mm. it's it kind of has tapped into that being a, you know, easy to play, easy to introduce to people and just easy to pick up and and run with.
2: It's sometimes not so easy to establish, you know, these extremely long running campaigns, especially, you know, when you get a bit older and responsibilities start to creep in, (laughs) you know, as much as I would love to be able to sit down and play for eight hours every week. For 10 years, organising that with like five other people in their mid-30s is, is or you know, it's now impossible, but being able to sit down and play through, you know, an episode of The X-Files or something, that's something that is much easier to convince yeah. people to sit down and do for a, um, a one-off shorter session.
1: Yeah, no, I'm particularly conscious of that at the moment because my regular group who we, we meet every second Monday night mm. and we are just in the final stages of playing through the Darkening of Merkwood campaign for the One Ring, which is a huge, epic, like, 35-year set of adventures. And it's... I think we started in 2015 or 2016. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been we've We've had a lot of breaks where we'd like play something else for a bit and come back to it when we were all feeling a bit kind of burned out, but it's still been a long slog to get there yeah
2: well i mean those twitter memes are mean meme- are there for a reason it's like <laughs> organizing a table of adults to play a game of uh yeah of anything is uh it's like herding cats
1: yeah yeah and uh yeah definitely there's also an element of that with my, my group because although the group's been continuous it's certainly got quite a few different people in it now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the ship of uh,
2: ship of theseus yeah. The party of And
0: that's one of the things that makes Monster of the Week so awesome is, you know, it's the it's the accessibility, but it's like accessible in so many different ways. Yeah. Like, you, you know, like you said, that you're just worrying about the one type of die. It's a lot easier to understand the classes, the playbooks. They're not like, you don't have to read 20 pages and, and get all these other expansion books and stuff like D&D. And then the fact that it's set up to really be like a one shot or a series of shorter games, you know. Just like you said, Gerundu, you can lean into the character tropes like it's called Monster of the Week for a reason, because it's like Buffy or it's like Supernatural. It's and it's like X-Files. It's like what happens this week? And it's just a kind of one and done adventure. And I think I really, really like that. And as you said, because you're getting to that point where I don't have time to sit down with all my friends as often as I'd like. So when I do. I want something we can kind of engage with and complete in one or two nights. No,
1: it's good that it comes through because yeah, that, that's kind of what I was always hoping for when I was writing it.
0: So you made the abilities in Monster of the Week. Yeah. I like how they're different. Like the abilities are different than other role-playing games, but they're close enough to where you, you know exactly you know what you're trying to do with them. They're very recognizable. And another thing I really like about your system is kind of how dangerous <laughs> everything is. Like it's uh, more realistic characters are fragile and you know
1: pain hurts yeah i I shouldn't take too much credit for for this because really a lot of this stuff is just um you know adapted from um vincent baker's apocalypse world which is the kind of source of that basic framework that i use to build monster of the week so you know a lot of the ideas he had about how to get this kind of play and you know apocalypse world's not exactly like monster of the week it's got some different emphases in it about what plays about, but it's got enough in common that it worked for the ideas I had. So yeah, and a lot of that is there, like the the way those attributes work, that idea that everything's dangerous, um, those things are kind of fairly straightforwardly just moved from you know straight through from Apocalypse World, uh, although Apocalypse World's kind of got a bit more of an emphasis on kind of scarcity and things, which which isn't really there in Monster of the Week uh, as a source of, like, where dangers come from. Whereas, mm. obviously, in Monster of the Week, the source of dangers is monsters. <laughs> yeah, rather
2: than <laughs> lack of um, clean drinking water or shelter, etc. cetera. That's yeah, exactly yeah. right. Absolutely.
0: So, Gerondu, I've only been a player on our podcast, role for Weird. I've never actually ran you haven't. a game of Monster of the Week myself, but you have.
2: I have, yeah, I've run a couple.
0: So how would you say, from your perspective, as someone who's just picked up the book, and read through it and played through it. How is running a game of Monster of the Week different from running a game of, say, Dungeons and Dragons? And how is it similar as well?
2: It was significantly easier to prepare for, as I say, with newer players as well. There was a lot less worry about needing to to guide them through character creation because it's you know it's just one one sheet. You can it's all laid out in front of you. There's no rolling for stats or anything like that. It's just picking picking multiple choice options, which anybody can do in half an hour with just a little bit of, you know, reading and lead in time to explain the general premise of how the um, game is played. There was no, again, there's no need to invest anybody in any kind of uh, pre-existing law. It's played in the modern world, you know, exactly, you know, unless you're setting it somewhere you've never been, I don't advise doing that. <laughs> I usually just set games either in your hometown, somewhere everybody is everybody's vaguely familiar with, or somewhere you're comfortable bluffing.
1: I agree. I think Monster League really works best if you set it locally. Yeah. But, or you pick somewhere that's so prevalent in media that everyone's got the same idea about it. Ex- yeah, exactly, yeah.
2: <laughs> A lot of the time, smaller venues work well. Like small towns, etc., just because you know you've got more.
1: oh uh, yeah, I guess, I guess somewhere no one's, if no one knows anything about. it. Yeah, afterwards. somewhere, somewhere <laughs> relatively isolated <laughs> would be a
2: good call as well. Gives you some plot hooks for where yeah. monsters might be coming from and that kind of thing. But yeah, there's no, there's no. With D and D in particular, I feel like I think the perception is that there is 50 years of law you need to know backwards and forwards before you're allowed to play. Which is, I think, uh, just just that. It's just a perception. You don't need to do that, but that's off puts off puts a lot of people. Uh, but it's immediately recognizable when you're playing in the modern world in a place, in a town or whatever that everybody's familiar with. Yeah, people are already kind of invested and can relate immediately to the kind of characters that they're playing. Yeah. I don't know what a ranger is really in real life. I wouldn't know how I would relate to a ranger, uh, but I know what a dodgy used car salesman is or you know the, the local bobby or you know somebody who reads the future from the cats or, you know those are all kind of archetypes of people we know in our real life or we know from cultural tropes so it's just the the effort required to invest people into that world is significantly less yeah I think that's the the principal difference that I, <laughs> I would call um, attention to.
1: Yeah, I think in general I'm drawn to games that are like that where you don't need to feel like you've got a lot of work to do before you even start, you know. Yeah. something where you can, like, introduce it in a sentence or two and just go from there.
2: Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I think there's, there's something to be said for games where, you know, there is that amount of involvement required but if you're not already sold on it in the first 10 minutes then you're probably never going to be and you're just going to be setting yeah. yourself up for a bad time <laughs> so yeah Um what did you feel about being run in games is different jeremy since you've not actually run it yourself do you? how does the play how does it feel different being a player to being uh, a player in another system
0: well from i mean my perspective is the way i'm interacting with the keeper So it's, it's not, Mm. it's more like responsive instead of prescriptive. It's like, instead of them kind of telling me what's going on and then asking me to make a check, it feels more like I'm making a lot of decisions and they're just kind of responding to it and telling me uh, how I succeeded or failed. Like, yeah, it's, I don't know. I mean, I love D and D obviously, but it is kind of, this feels less railroady, even if you have a a game master that's trying not to be railroady, it's really, it's a lot easier to do that on accident in D and D and in this. It really kind of feels like the players take the wheel and the keeper's sitting there just trying to make sure it somewhat stays on a set path, like just responding to us. And I, yeah.
2: it does feel more like a negotiation than a. <laughs> uh... Uh, <laughs> than than just being sort of yeah directed as you as you say i think that's
0: that's a fair assessment was that uh, done intentionally michael or w- what can you say about that
1: yeah yeah that that's one of the things that i loved about apocalypse world is that when you're in the mc role in apocalypse world you know you set up what's going on like you come up with people who are doing bad stuff and that sort of thing and problems that are affecting the players communities. And then you just kind of say, right, here we are. Here's what's going on. What do you all do with it? Um, and then then it's just up to the players decide what their characters do. Mm. And you respond, and then they respond to that, and it just keeps going. It's, uh, as Baker wrote it in uh, Apocalypse World, like the game's just a conversation back and forward where you kind of establish what's going on, react to it, figure out the consequences, in a lot of cases, that will involve the moves coming out and the rules kind of adjusting. And sometimes it'll just be what makes sense, right? What's clearly going to happen based on what you know about the world and what people are trying. Um, and, yeah, that conversation is, is what makes the game happen. And, yeah, that that's what I wanted for Monster of the Week when I was writing it. So it's definitely very intentional that that was the piece that I was going, right, Um because the game existed before Apocalypse World and was kind of stalled. Mm. So it was like that way of approaching how to build the scenarios um, was the thing that made me go, right, the Apocalypse World's fixing this problem I'm having with, with the game I'm working on
2: it's those seven to nine rolls those are my favorites the qualified the qualified successes those 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 conversations are um, invariably fun for me
1: i think for me it's when you roll a six or less and everything goes horribly wrong. yeah and (laughs) and also the fact that you
2: gain experience from doing that as well it doesn't feel like a total loss it's like yes actually i've learned something from that (laughs) won't be doing that again
0: Well, we have a lot more to ask Michael about Monster of the Week, but first we're going to take a short break from our sponsors.
1: Space. The final front. Mayday
3: Alert. We are under attack. Oh, blarney
0: kind of watch the tube for 10 seconds rerouting auxiliary power to abjuration shields
1: someone get on those cannons we've got company
0: are you looking for a dungeons and dragons sci-fi fantasy space adventure then what you are looking for is eclipse join our crew every other week as we struggle to keep the galaxy safe with Doctor Shepard, the Elithid cleric. Space pirates. That was wild. Ava Elkin, the human monk.
1: We play our cards right, we might not be totally screwed.
0: Lita Nove, the ASMR bard.
3: We should be arriving in Amaran in about two hours.
0: Info O Scott, the Warforged artificer. All right, I'm just gonna go ahead and fire the sonic cannon here. Kanan Vargas, the Tiefling sorcerer. Does anybody else think this is like a super aggressive move? And I'm Jeremy Fair. I will be your Dungeon Master. Eclipse can be found on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere you like to get your podcasts.
3: Do you like Dungeons and Dragons lore? Do you like drunk history? Well, then, Lore and Poor is the show for you where we combine the two. I'm Adam Deweese, and I'm the host, and I bring on a cast of rotating guests, and we hang out before the show, have a few drinks. And then they are given their topic 30 minutes prior to pressing the record button where they study up on the topic, and then we hit record, and whatever they say goes, they are treated as if they are the leading experts in the field, and I ask the questions that you never thought you needed to ask, such as, how do mind players go to the bathroom? Yeah, they just go one one time, and it's pee and poop, and it's green. What's the most dangerous creature in the astral plane? It's just pinch it. You know? Yeah, just... and that whale's like, you know they what? They got pinchers? Oh, <laughs> you Do they know, you know about pictures. Find the answers to all these questions and much, much more, whether they're accurate or not, on Lauren Poor. You can find Lauren Poor on the Majesticus Network and wherever you download your podcast every other Monday right now.
0: All right. And we are back. So we've talked a lot about uh, Monster of the Week, a lot about um, how Michael has made a lot of decisions to purposely make this game something different from, you know, say Dungeons and Dragons, for example, and in a a good way. Let's go ahead and talk about some of the basic moves real quick, because even though there are different archetypes, different playbooks and classes, all of these basic moves are pretty much available to everybody. They can just do them uh, to different degrees of success or failure. So do you mind walking our listeners through some of these basic moves? Like kick some ass is probably a good place to start since, no matter how much story you have, you're going to always get into some combat with monsters.
1: Yeah. So the kick some ass moves, like the one where you are like, okay, it's time to get, get in this monster's face and destroy it one way or another. And it's built to be extremely dangerous. Like you don't go in and do that without taking a hit back from the monster Mm. when you roll it. And that's just to build up the threat of how things play in the monster week world. In essence, you know, you don't want to be walking up to a monster and, and starting a fight with it. You want to deal with them other ways if you can. I mean, there's a few of the character types who, who are really tough and can handle it. But uh, generally, even those are going to be uh, in danger using that move. So that's that's kind of the key tension in there. So like if you want to hurt the monster and it can hurt you back and you're gonna you're gonna suffer for it,
2: <laughs> <laughs> as it should be.
1: Should mention for people who aren't familiar, the other thing that Monster Week does is uh, like you can't actually stop a monster until you figure out what its specific weakness is. Mm. Which again is taking from shows like Buffy and Supernatural. Like you know you can't just walk up to a troll and smash it or shoot it a bunch of times and expect it to stay down. There'll be some special ritual or material that it's vulnerable to or something like that so that's also part of the deal that you know it's not enough to just go and fight it um you've got to work out what what'll stop it too
0: yeah and that makes it a lot more interesting and like specific. Like you don't just have one uh one playbook one class that's going to always be the best because you're going to need certain skills to take down certain monsters like you said because you, you can't defeat them all the same way it's not just like i'm the biggest i'm the strongest so now i can win yeah and I really like that about it. It forces you to be more creative. And then something else our listeners might not know, when you fail in Monster of the Week, you don't just miss. Bad things happen to you. The situation can get worse, oh, yeah. which I love. Yeah,
1: that, that's also a key feature of all the 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 rolled moves that you, know, you can succeed in what you're trying to do. Uh, you can get the mixed success you were talking about earlier where you succeed, but there's maybe an extra cost or a problem comes with it. And then there's on a miss, and in most cases there, it just says, you know, mm. the Keeper gets to decide what <laughs> happens to you. You know, that that's, and the idea is, you know, you'll look at the situation, figure out, like, what makes sense would go wrong here, and that's what happens. And I think that's kind of, both the mixed successes and the way failures work are a key thing that keeps the story rolling in Monster of Week. Yeah. Because things don't stop in a static place like whatever happens when you roll the dice you're going to end up somewhere different than where you started
2: yeah it keeps keeps things moving not necessarily in the direction that the players intended no but, no. but moving nevertheless it could be
1: <laughs> yeah and well, I was talking about I like it when you roll the miss, and that's because it does take you somewhere unexpected, you know? it's Yeah. Often. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. It's not always fun to just have it play out to perfection every single time. Yeah. Those little wrinkles and hiccups along the way are what make those stories truly memorable a lot of the time, I think. Well, we nearly failed because of this. <laughs> Still pulled it out of the bag.
1: And also it gives you the opportunity um, sometimes to do quite fun things in a recent game i played there was uh someone was like fighting a monster and they they rolled and they got a terrible roll it might have been snake eyes and they were expecting you know take a whole bunch of harm you're you're going to be dying but instead because of what i knew about what the monster was up to it was like okay you black out you know, we're going to find out what happened to you later and and switch to the rest of the group. (laughs) Which, like, added a lot of tension. (laughs) It was really fun. (laughs)
2: I was getting uh, second-hand um, anxiety about that just from hearing about it. So, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, everyone else just knew that this person had said, oh, I'm going to go and check out this thing. Yeah, I'll, I'll be right back. <laughs> and that's the last they heard of it. <laughs> Uh-oh. Famous
2: last words. <laughs> and
1: and I think that's it. That's like when what the players expect comes up against what the keeper knows about what's going on that they haven't figured out yet. And you get those kind of twists in the story that when you look back, it makes sense, but you don't see them coming. And I think that, that, that's always fun. Absolutely.
2: I mean, you wouldn't get your main character in your TV show if he just walked up to the, the, the boss in the first five minutes and cut his head off with a silver axe and went, <laughs> I knew it was that thing all the whole time. It, it would be really boring. You need to have some adversity along the way. And yeah. if it's something unexpected.
1: Although that said, I, I have played a few times where people did like luck out and just <laughs> like deal with a monster really quick. And they're like, what is that? It? But you know, if if everything went smoothly, like sometimes it is that easy. Well, that's that's fair. That's fair too. I mean, I'm I'm
2: one to talk. I mean, we'll happily spend what two hours play pretending to play pool in you know, a <laughs> E. cheese or whatever it yeah, is, like
0: <laughs> shitty American restaurants like Applebee's and like sit there for 30 minutes arguing over what we're going to order and we're just having like a good time like playing in character and then we're like oh yeah this is a role-playing game we can roll dice too we
2: should probably go investigate those horrific murders or whatever it was yeah Yeah.
1: <laughs> I presume there may have been more horrific murders in the meantime while you're at quite possibly while well, just bickering, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it's to the point where like we have so many of these like shenanigans at like these Applebee's and stuff that are we're not even safe there anymore. Now our keeper made like <laughs> that part of the plot. Like there was these evil entities in the Applebee's. And we got transported yeah. to some other Applebee. It was crazy. I don't know. Yeah, we keep, we
2: yeah. keep dicking around in chain restaurants too much, so now they're dangerous.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that's, that's, that, that hits another thing that I think makes the game fun, which is where you, you know, the fact that you don't come in with a preconceived idea about everything in the world means mm. that you can take things that happen in the game and say, this is cool, like, what if there's like a weird occult explanation for this and, and like weave it back in? And I think that's where kind of the richness of longer Monster Week games comes from is where you take the things that the players do and build it back in so that, uh, you know, all, all that crazy stuff happens.
2: Yeah. You build, build your own law.
1: Yeah. You know, when we're playing Adam.
0: Every time we mention any place, you just hear his keyboard typing in the background. He's starting to look up the, the local restaurants. He's looking up like pictures of the town, maps of the town. And it's kind of interesting because his character is the mundane, but he like runs a Reddit thread. So he, his whole thing is he's like knows all these random things like that. So it's almost in character that he's like, oh, I looked this up real quick and I know where this place is. And yeah, I know it's funny how we're like building this town together, um, even though it's a real place that none of us have ever been to.
1: Another recent game I played, um, I did it in a small town in New Zealand that I just picked randomly, and one of my players said, oh, yeah, I was here a few months ago. <laughs> so so he became the expert on what was there. <laughs> <laughs>
2: extremely, extremely small side note. I was reading your Ask Me Anything on uh, Reddit, and you mentioned that you'd been listening to, um, at the time that you were doing that, you'd been listening to Hammer. Oh, yeah. I went to see them in 2019 oh, before awesome. obviously all the the horror show came down. Um, yeah, I really love them. But they reference just these small towns in Scotland, basically, yeah, uh, yeah. as, as yeah. being these big, Im- impressive, epic places. Um, but they're, in reality perhaps not quite so fantastical as they're written about in the uh, in the songs but, yeah, yeah
1: no i'm i'm a big fan of theirs. i sadly have not had a chance to um see them i think the closest they've come to me is australia and obviously that was before travel got closed down everywhere
2: before yeah in the before times yeah
1: um if you don't mind me putting in a bit of self promo um you may want to check out my game heavy metal eons which is basically Based on songs like the one Gory Hammer does. Excellent. <laughs> so, Crazy Heroes, uh, Violent Adventures, Madness.
2: I will definitely it's, be taking that on.
1: That's one of my ones that I've got in Early Access. It's, um, you know, it's like 99% done, I think. But uh, that last 1% is taking a lot. time. <laughs>
2: it, <as> it <laughs> the trickiest percent of all.
0: <laughs> the last
2: one. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll definitely be checking that
1: out.
0: So, our heavy metal eons—is that like a, a separate role-playing game? Is that a board game, or what is that?
1: Yeah, it is its whole own role-playing game.
0: We talked about kick some ass. Uh, one of the other basic moves is act under pressure. How is that different? Like, is is that could still kind of be a combat move in a way, couldn't it? Or what's the main differences with that?
1: Act under pressure is kind of the the basic catch-all. Like, that's where. You're trying to do something, but it's not straightforward or it's dangerous. So it's, compared to all the other basic moves, it's a little more generic. Actually, if, if you compare it to the others, like particularly in like the, the mixed results, all the others will have, you succeed and do this, but here are the specific things that go wrong. If you look at um, Act Under Pressure, it's, you know, you achieve it, but there's a complication or a price to pay. You know so it's it allows quite a bit of flexibility, but it also doesn't guide you as much as the uh more specific ones and yeah that that it is kind of there as a catch all where you think you know this is something dangerous that's happening, something that wouldn't be easy, but it doesn't fall under any of the more specific ones right uh seven to nine you're gonna get a worse outcome, a hard choice, or a price to pay there so like I say pretty generic, but it allows you to take a situation that isn't addressed by another move, like, I need to get this child out of a burning building while a werewolf is chasing me, mm. <laughs> um, and say, right, that's obviously a high-pressure situation, can you do it? And I think the 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 flexibility of that mixed result allows you to kind of tailor it to whatever situation is, is going on.
2: Any kind of mundane action performed under extreme duress, really, would fall under that wouldn't yeah. it? So. Yeah,
1: basically
0: yeah yeah i love how when you fail uh or you know or succeed but barely succeed you get to like make these tough choices that directly influence the story so i like that as a player you get the option of you know which one of these would you like to would you like to happen things get worse or it works but there's some sort of catch to it or i don't know i really like that and then it also puts it on the keeper to come up with something really quick off the top of their head which is also fun
1: yeah and that thing about choices is another part of the 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 philosophy behind it is in general i want to when bad things happen to the hunters in in monster week i want it to often be you've got a choice about how it happens rather than just this bad thing happens to you and i think you, you'll see that a lot of places there are hard choices everywhere in and how the moves play out and indeed like how the instructions for designing a mystery come out because that that aspect of like you know psychologically for these people these monster hunters in this fictional version of the real world like what's interesting is how do they deal when things are tough like what choices do they make in some ways on the surface you imagine the game's about like being awesome and badass and and like taking down these horrible monsters but i think actually the the real heart of the game is where the monster hunters are going is this worth what benefit i'll get from it mm. you know c- will i make this deal to stop this bad thing um all those kind of choices yeah
2: absolutely those moments when we when we've had them ex- sort of experienced that kind of um emotional involvement when that really resonates with you as a player it's just mm, superb
0: yeah yeah and it just helps build the story like i like no matter what you do if you succeed if you fail if you're somewhere in the middle it's going to influence the plot. Like it's not, I shot my bow and arrow and I missed and now my turn's over. It's like, you you shot your bow and arrow, now here's what happens, even though you missed. Like something happens that changes the situation. So it, it it's not like, oh, we're jumping into a combat. It's like, no, that's still part of the story and it can change rapidly at any yeah. moment. This game is really good about letting you fail forward. Even when you level up, which is not really leveling up, You you pick new abilities and you can pick them kind of like, in in any order you want, which I really, really like a lot, too. Some of our listeners might not know, in this game, when when you fail really poorly, you can actually kind of check some boxes that once you check Mm -hmm. enough experience, you do get to get some new moves and uh, to kind of level up in a manner of speaking. Was that also something you did intentionally you wanted to avoid like that whole when you level up to level three you get this and level four you get this
1: that one's not so conscious um the the advancement system is is another piece that's pretty much come very little change from apocalypse world but it was because i enjoyed it there it's you know the fact that you've got a list of options and you're like okay well i can pick one of them now that i've got all these experience points i think it it makes it a more interesting Mm. choice um well i mean it makes it a choice i mean and um and in D and D these days, a lot of levels. It's just, um, oh, you get this thing. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's choose this or that, but but I think it's it's always more more fun if you you have a choice and can pick the, like this is the one that works for me. I think, it,
2: as, again, it all makes it easier to invest yourself in that character if you feel that you've got a stake, not just in their development, yeah. but in how the outcome of the adventure plays out based on, you know, kind of a metagame y sort of decision that you make when presented with that yeah it's like uh, my character doesn't have to bear the responsibility of whatever happened after that I personally do because I made that decision I was like oh well I'll take this as a worse outcome then and it's like oh no maybe that was the wrong decision but oh well it's done now Silas didn't Silas didn't make that choice I did (laughs) so
1: (laughs) yeah I think you can have some fun playing with that that distinction between what you enjoy seeing as as the player and what your hunter would or would not enjoy happening to them. <laughs> yeah, I might
2: think that's funny. It presents a dramatic, you know, a, a, a nice sort of dramatic uh, moment, but my character might not appreciate what's happening to them.
1: <laughs> uh, I think one of the other things that's quite nice about this style of play is that you can co- also slip quite easily between that I'm the player deciding what happens to my character or kind of becoming a bit more immersed in what your character is going through in the moment. I, I, for me, at least this, this works quite well at where you can kind of have different perspectives on it as you play.
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. I just,
0: I really love the, like the whole system is just set up so well because like we were talking about earlier, it's really accessible. It's like chunked into smaller pieces where you can really feel like you're accomplishing something. You kind of get a little bit of an ending to each story, you know, if you play one or two sessions, but then you're always progressing. I mean, even when you fail, you're making progress in the story. The story's rolling. You're making, you know, you're learning more about what's going on. And if you keep failing enough, your character improves and your character changes and you're still making choices. And it's like, you're never bogged down at every moment in the game you are progressing the story even if in your character's eyes you failed something
1: i think it's also important the way the moves are phrased like a six or less doesn't necessarily mean you failed even Uh, it means something bad happened but it's Mm. um like it might be that the character tried something it succeeded and then something bad happened (laughs) it's uh you know um and i think that that's kind of an element of that the failing forward, as you say it's it's keeps things going, and uh, I think it's it's quite nice to move the when you roll the dice to be more about that and less about the kind of more traditional thing of you know I look up my um, skill in listening through doors and roll, and I failed so I just don't hear anything, which you know kind of stalls the story for a moment. But the fact that instead of success or failure, it's do things go well or badly, gives you more room to move around how the results come out.
2: Yeah, you hear the conversation, but your knee slips and you bang your head loudly against the panel of the Oak Door.
1: Yeah. Or you recognise one of the voices there. (laughs) Someone you don't want to be there. Mom? (laughs) (laughs) Yep.
0: (laughs) and Jerundu earlier you mentioned how it's sometimes it feels like you're negotiating with the keeper Um, and that's because everything's written just vaguely enough that you can like a little wiggle room like a little bit of an argument there it's not like you have to like sit to this really strict set of rules it's just enough to kind of give you an idea so you can be really really creative within the game itself
1: yeah and I think that's quite important because it does allow you to be able to do things like have someone say um, you know, I'm going to try this thing and the keeper could respond, well, you know, that sounds like you're acting under pressure to me. Do you want to roll for it? And the person will say, well, actually, I was hoping it wouldn't be that dangerous. So maybe I'll try something else, you know, and I think that's <laughs> a perfectly legitimate, thing to do you know
2: yeah i think that's that's how people behave in real life isn't it it's like i'll oh, consider my options <laughs> like generally <laughs> yeah. i know i do anyway <laughs> um
1: in terms of the other basic moves i think that the the other one that i think might be interesting to talk about is use magic mm, yes because uh, particularly people coming from a game like D in monster of the week all monster hunters can use magic as one of their basic moves and it's kind of framed as the sort of magic you see in Buffy, where you'll not need to draw something on, like some runes, and uh, maybe read something out of an old book and that sort of thing. Mm. But um, but all the hunters have access to that, and they can do certain things. And it's kind of limited, but I think that the fact that everyone has that is another thing that adds a lot of the flavour to Monster of the Week. Is that you know even your kind of buff jock monster hunter <laughs> if he needs to can um can try and um like put a warding to stop a vampire getting into the house or something like that
2: yeah absolutely i'm a big fan of um the old hammer horror films and uh dennis Wheatley novels yep. so i'm a big fan of like the devil rides out <laughs> and um that, it's that kind of that ritualistic vaguely um satanic kind of it doesn't it wouldn't have to be given it but that's just what the kind of associations that it brings up to my mind is like those kind of um dennis wheatley novel kind of um, ritualistic arcane rituals kind of thing
1: i was also a bit inspired by the way tim powers writes magic in his novels i don't know if you've come across them but Mm. they're generally recent history or modern day but there's kind of a, a very like ad hoc sense to the magic rituals his characters use where they kind mm. of draw on kind of magical traditions and occult traditions but in a kind of new and slightly um off kilter way which i think works quite well too
2: my character again sorry to keep dragging it back to roll for weird but i'm immensely proud of it <laughs> um my character in roll for weird uh, was a contemporary of Alistair Crowley in the, uh, the late 1800s, oh, so I have some experience with uh, Thelemism <laughs> and the uh, Easter Order of uh, Hermes and so on, and, and yes, I rather enjoy the ritualistic nature of the magic use in the of course, anybody can mumble a few words and wiggle their hands in a convincing way and mount a ward, but it takes a real dab hand to get the real stuff done, the big
1: magic. And also, I mean, the fact that everyone can do magic doesn't mean everyone's good at it.
2: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, look at him, Johnny Quarterback over there, <laughs> thinking he knows how to mount a wad. Um,
1: I think there's also, a, a I mean, the, the game tells you when, when your character does magic you should think about how this particular monster hunter does it. It's not mm-hmm. assumed to always be the same. No. Um, and I think that's another thing that allows you to kind of personalise how things work, both for your character and for your game's whole world.
2: Yeah. Well, the, the, again, for in our game, the difference between how Silas as the monstrous vampire associate of Alistair Crowley uses magic compared to how misty his granddaughter the spell slinger with a very much a emphasis on setting things on fire uses magic uh, is a very yep. is a very different proposition entirely um and that is yeah you
1: know, no, it's always cool i think when you yeah. get those differences between the characters
2: definitely it's sort of yeah the kind of reflection of their personalities i think and um yeah, yeah and that's really cool how that sort of manifests through the the different playbooks and then but then also just through the um the stylistic choices we've made uh creating our characters uh, and again we had ideas for our characters i think before we knew how they were going to be related to each other so developing that up and yeah. having these two wildly disparate people with the on the surface, not very much in common than actually being blood relatives was um, a delight to develop.
1: Yeah. Actually, I I don't think we we really talked about that when we were talking about the building, the histories. It's true, at the yeah. Beginning, but actually, I think one of one of the things that is quite fun is when one person picks one of the questions and it's quite an unexpected one for yeah. the recipient, and they have to stop and think, oh, how could that work (laughs) with what I know about me so far? (laughs) And I think that often leads to some quite interesting um, ideas.
2: In one of the one-off games that we played, um, I was the crooked in that one, so I was like a kind of Tony Soprano, midlife crisis gangster. Yeah. And Jeremy was, that was Gabo, my adopted right? son, Goblin.
0: That was a Goblin. <laughs> hey, it's Goblin. And he's like, all right, all right, you can quiet. You're just my adopted son. He's good it's
2: a good boy. He's a great earner, better than my real son. Goddamn, Goddamn Larry.
0: <laughs> just told everyone I had some sort of skin disease or something. Right? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah you leave him alone.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you don't get that from D&D. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you can really build some really interesting and often extremely hilarious (laughs) relationships, especially with those unexpected curveball type questions. Yeah. All right. Well, we have talked all about Monster of the Week today, but unfortunately, we are starting to run out of some time. Michael, is there anything else that you wanted to let our listeners know about Monster of the Week that maybe we haven't covered? Uh, Anything that's going to really sell it for them if they haven't already... uh, become completely interested in it because I I gotta say to everyone listening this is a really great system you definitely need to check
1: it out Um, well I think do you want to stop monsters eating innocent people? <laughs> Monster Week's the game that gives that to you. <laughs>
2: well, I mean, if you don't want to buy it after that, then there's something deeply morally wrong with you. <laughs> exactly. I have to call your character into question. I think you should, um, you know, take a good long look at yourself, quite frankly, and then and then buy the game and revise your opinions. Um but yeah, it's, in all seriousness, the, um, it's yeah, it's a great game. We both absolutely adore it. Um, if you can't tell, because we've been heaping praise on on Michael and the game itself all the way through, because it is genuinely the reason why I'm a podcaster today. So cool. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank g- genuinely. Thank you very much.
1: Oh, you're welcome. I'm just glad that it's kind of connected with you. I, it's always nice when I meet someone who has kind of. Like got what the game's about and enjoyed it. It's yeah. It's it's um you know because I spent years putting all all my kind of heart into it to try and get it to a place where it would appeal to people. So it it's just wonderful when I can see that it has.
2: <laughs> it definitely appeals to this people. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you that for for free. Um, <laughs> yeah. well do you have any other uh, projects um, that you would like to uh, tell the world about
1: uh yeah well like i said there's heavy metal eons which i uh, is uh, in early access that's um like i said it's the game of over-the-top heavy metal adventures like you get in songs of bands like glory hammer yes please also uh there's a a band local to me called beast wars who who do a similar thing different style of metal but also very good and the sword people like that so all Mm -hmm. those kind of science fantasy adventures um so yeah if you're into that it's worth a look got another one in the same state called the natural philosophers which is um completely different it's totally non-violent game in which you are scientists exploring a world that you've suddenly gained access through through a weird portal. Ooh. And it's kind of got a little bit of a like enlightenment or Victorian scientists, like trying to figure stuff out vibe um, and a lot of like drawing maps and writing stuff in notebooks. Um, so kind of a, a very different, vibe. Yeah. but also I'm, I, I'm quite proud of that one. That's really intriguing. Um, so you can get those on my website, which I can drop you a link for. Um, and find where to get at those if anyone is interested.
2: We shall pop that in the uh, episode description.
1: And the other thing that listeners who are already or may soon be fans of Monster of the Week may be interested in is um, we are currently in the very final stages of putting together a new Monster of the Week book that's going to be coming out with Evil Hat Productions. So, like I say, it's it's going to be a while, not just for the rest of the process but with the state of shipping and everything at the moment but uh, it, it, there is another one coming
2: <laughs> well like all good things it's uh, worth waiting for
1: i'm pretty happy with where it is at the moment as we approach on a full draft but um it's uh as i say not not quite at that point of finished and going to the editors and playtesters
2: well i'm sure i and many others will uh, await with bated breath the uh, the results cool yeah. Well, thank you ever so much for joining us. Um, again, it has been a real pleasure to have you on. And uh, in many res- in many respects, uh, 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 an honor. As I said, if it wasn't for for uh, Monster of the Week, I would not be doing this show or any of the others that I do. So
1: yeah. Yeah. It's 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 a bit strange for me because honestly, I feel like I'm just someone who's probably unhealthily into role playing as a hobby. <laughs> it, it's not more special than that. I think um, you know, Monster of the Week's really just kind of like the distilled knowledge I got from playing these games for way too long. <laughs>
2: I think it's just it's nice to feel a kind of resonance with people through their through yeah. their work, I think. Whether you're a podcaster or a writer or whatever it is you do oh, when people yeah. when people tell you that they enjoy your stuff. Um There's not really any better feeling than that, but it's sincerely meant. Thank you. My pleasure.
0: And once again, that was Michael Sands, the creator of Monster of the Week from Evil Hat Productions. And thank you for coming on here and having this conversation with us, Michael. Oh, you're welcome. It's been good fun. As always, I just wanted to take some time to say thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope that our discussions were able to entertain and inspire you. Do you have an idea for a guest you'd like to hear us interview? Or perhaps there's a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the show. We want to hear about it. You can send us comments, questions, or just say hi by going to Dicetalkpod.com. There, you can stay up to date on all the latest Dice Talk news and streaming schedules. Also, be sure to go to MajesticGoose.com, where you can check out all the awesome tabletop shows that we offer on the network. If you want to find us on social media, you can do so on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search Dice Talk and start following us today. You can also get in touch with us by sending us an email to dicetalkshow at gmail.com. And if you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. They really help to get us to the top of the charts and get our name out there. Leaving us a review lets us know how you feel about the show, and it really is the best way you can support us right now. Don't forget to tell your friends about us and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. I'll talk to you next time on Dice Talk.
3: A Majestic Goose Podcast.